Hello and welcome to the OTD podcast with your host, Jeff Friedman. On today's uh, episode, this is our second episode of the, the season, we have Andrew. And Andrew is a, uh, a law student and libertarian advocate. And uh, in this episode, he describes his experience growing up uh, modern Orthodox in North Jersey and uh, and basically about his journey, how he uh, reconciled some of his uh, modern. Yeah, Andrew talks about his journey, how going to college was an awakening experience for him and how it uh, being away from his uh, family provided some new interesting opportunities, but yet it uh, bumped up against some of his old beliefs. And uh, But Ultimately, he talks about how he reconciled a lot of the conflict with his family and how he's in a good place right now. Listen in to hear Andrew's story. Some more, and, and believe me, I have a lot to say on all these topics. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. So, uh, so my first question is: Where are you from? How did that place and those people inter- influence your life? Uh, what about influencing my life? Okay. I'll say it again. Where are you from, and how did that place and those people where you're from influence your life? Sure. So I'm from uh, northern New Jersey. I grew up in a small little town called Bernardsville, um, and I went throughout my entire life. I've never, uh, until tw- end of 12th grade, I had never spent a, a day out of Jewish day school or yeshiva. Um I'm not sure if the particular location influenced my life so much. Um, I kind of feel like modern Orthodox communities are the same um, kind of everywhere you go. Right. Um, so I don't know if I have much to say on that topic, how they... But I, but I say each place is a little bit, I mean, the, like the still the, the neighborhood might have some interesting nuances that are a little bit geographical, you know? You don't think so, so I actually grew up, um, I lived not directly in the Jewish community that I was quote unquote a part of, um, okay. lived a little further away. Um, and, and, and I drove uh, 20, 30 minutes every day to uh, Kushner where I was for uh, middle school and high school. And so, uh, my parents actually became religious later in life. Um, uh, they, they grew up kind of conservative, both of them and, uh, uh both of them, but to a larger extent, my dad had kind of a religious awakening in, uh, when I was around seven or eight, and it wasn't just a, something that happened one day, but it was slow over the course of years and years and years. And he became more and more religious. And uh, I was going to a, uh, I don't know what they call them. It was uh, like a Jewish school that wasn't associated with any movement. Um, there's a term for that. Uh, but it was mostly conservative. Non-denominational? Or... Um, there we go. I went to a non-denominational lower school um, uh-huh. in the end of fifth grade. And then, you know, as they were becoming more religious, they switched me to Kushner, which was a modern Orthodox school for uh, middle school and high school. And what uh, would you say your, your father was sort of Baal to Chuba? Um, so it's kind of interesting. I don't, it, 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 he wouldn't use that term for himself, uh-huh. though he definitely vaguely associate, he, he wouldn't use that term for himself because I don't think he would believe he's become religious as he should be. Um, so what's kind of interesting is my parents were somewhat uh, conservadox, actually, I would say, when I was growing up. So they, uh, it, when I mean growing up, I meant after they became more religious. So after uh, after I was maybe 12 or 11, that's when they really, I think, they, they peaked in terms of their, terms of their religiosity. Uh-huh. And so um, what that meant really was that my, they, uh, they definitely believed Orthodox Judaism was correct and they wished they were closer to Orthodox Judaism 
But because of the circumstances of living further away from immunity, it, it did present some problems in terms of Shabbos and driving. And so, uh, so for example, they would they the what it ended up being was they would never you know uh, touch uh, your TV or electronics on Shabbos, but they would be a little more okay with turning the lights on and off. It was more about the spirit of Shabbos than it was about uh, holding to the exact black letter law. Right. And in terms of kosher, you know, we'd we'd eat out at non kosher places, but more so. Uh, uh, just dairy. We would never eat meat out non-kosher. So it was. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't exactly your your your, your uh, traditional modern Orthodox upbringing. But on, on the other hand, what I think was interesting is I'd say my parents were a lot more culturally and I don't know what other word I'd use for it spiritually Jewish than I I, I would say even the average modern Orthodox family were. So it was for them. It was less about holding to every letter of the law, but more so about. Um, making sure we had a Jewish identity uh, and a Jewish culture um, and, and making sure that we follow the spirit of halacha, I guess, more so than the exact. And how, how would that, what would that look like in practice? Well, I just kind of explained it to you. Like on Shabbos, for example, they would turn the lights on and off, um, but it, it, uh, things like watching TV or the internet, they wouldn't go anywhere near that. Um, uh, okay. But I mean, uh, but in terms of beyond that, would there any uh, other particular things? The identity, that... With the identity part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, I'd say for me, and, and this has kind of left me with some, uh, I guess, I don't know if I would call it psychological harm, but definitely did some stuff to me, um, was that they had a big, big focus on marrying Jewish. And, and, and uh-huh. the focus, I mean, like this was the exclusive goal of their life almost. This was right. the, wow. the Jewish day school to begin with. And it was driven into me every single day of my life that you have to marry Jewish. And uh, there's just it's there's no other option. It's not like oh this is going to happen if you don't. It's like there is not another option. Uh-huh. Uh, and that was really driven into me from day one, and it, it did become an, an issue for me, you know, as I went to high school and then you know particularly college. Okay, and where um, how uh, how did it come up as an issue for you? If you describe that. A little so um, let's see how can I say this. So they would use they would use a lot of demeaning terminology when referring to uh, you know family friends and such who are you know successful in their own right but married non Jews. They my dad used to use some very offensive and still does use some very offensive terminology. You know terms like shiksa are thrown around a lot, right? A demeaning term for non Jews, but worse, he used to call it shit on the shoe, uh-huh. uh, as in you can't once you marry into a goyish family you can't get rid of them. You're stuck with the Christmas. Uh- and- all the time yeah yeah it's funny but I don't know if, is that a jewish expression because my other um yeah i i have a, I have a friend that he that uh who uh doesn't always talk in the most educated way but jewish and he, he would he would say his, his father would use that term too the, the shit in the shoe thing it just yeah, sticks and can't get rid of it. maybe it is i haven't heard <laughs> it. I not. and i consider both of my parents very educated um, right they both did uh you know postgraduate <laughs> degrees but they I found that terminology very offensive. Right. And uh, in college, I did date uh, a couple non-Jewish girls, and I didn't really tell them about it. Um, uh-huh. One, they found out uh, towards the very end of the relationship, and it was pretty devastating for my relationship with my family. They kind of, it was a few months of really not talking much. And this is coming well, what, from- what what background were the, were the girls? Um, one was white and one was half Asian. Okay. Uh, Christian, but not religious, really. Um, and, and I hid it from them. And first of all, that, that created a lot of, uh, 
stress for me, like a tremendous right. amount of stress because I'm, I'm an incredibly honest person. You know, my parents were very open with me about everything and anything. I was always open with them. And this was like the first thing that I just, I couldn't tell them. And it really bothered me. And, and you know, I had to hide it from them. Anytime I was home speaking to them, uh, speaking to my girlfriend. Uh, and it was really stressful for me. And when they found out, I mean, I never seen my dad more ashamed in my life. And it, it, it hurt me because I do, um, you know, look to my parents for approval to some extent. I'm an only child. I've always had a very close relationship with them. Sure. Um, and that really hurt me a lot. And it wasn't as much as he was mad. It was more so just disappointed. And he said, you got to get rid of this right now. And obviously I really didn't appreciate that language, but they kept pushing me on it. And eventually I did end up breaking up with her. Um, but again, I would go on to date somebody else after that. But uh, it, 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 during the times that my parents knew I was dating a non-Jew, it created a very stressful relationship between me and them. And that, at this point, has kind of created a big disincentive for me to date non-Jews because I don't want to go back to that. And it's kind of hard okay. because I personally don't care so much about it. I really don't care. Right. Not at all, but it's not a priority for me. Sure. Um, but I feel like I am worried that I cannot have a real relationship with my parents long-term and be married to a non-Jew. I just don't see it happening. And so it's almost for me, I have to balance, you know, to what extent I want happiness in my life in terms of picking the right woman for me. At what extent do I want to just find a Jew who I can tolerate uh, in order to have a good relationship with them? And that's become a big stress point in my life. Yeah, I meant to ask you this earlier in the beginning, but what, where, where's your, um, what's your family background from? Um, in terms of ethnicity or, I mean, in terms of... Yeah, but like, where were your parents born in the U.S. or the grandparents? Yeah. Where, where is it? Yeah, my both my parents were born in the United States. They both grew up uh, in New York, New Jersey area. Um, my dad's parents are from uh, the United States. And my mom's parents are both Holocaust survivors from Europe. Ironically enough, none of them were religious at all. Um, but what about, your, um, what about your dad's going back from Europe too? Yeah, my dad went to Germany. Like, if you go back far enough, Russia, but then further back Germany. Uh, my parents, my, my, uh, my mom's side, it's Germany and uh, Yugoslavia. Okay. And um, you're, um, so going back now, so uh, you're, uh, you're, you're saying that because of balance, your sort of relationship with your parents, uh, that it's sort of just more, uh, uh, it just works better to uh, date, date Jews, I guess. Yeah. Um, and what they do is, is it's, I mean, I don't, to, I don't, to one extent it's purposeful, I'm not sure, but it's very clear that they, um, they give me a tremendous amount of emotional and, and, and at times financial support um, because they want to keep me in and they want to, um, again, whether purposeful or not, they want to make it a big disincentive for me not to date a non-Jew. And they want to create the situation where they know they can pull back emotional support or whatever it is. Um, if I don't date a Jew, uh, and again, but, uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not oh. sure, but it's very obvious it's something they do because as soon as I broke up with one of my girlfriends in college, they just all of a sudden lavished all this emotional support and financial support. Oh, any anytime you need any money, Andrew, feel free to have right. an ask. And and it was honestly my relationship with my parents radically changed before and after that relationship because all of a sudden I felt like I was in control. I was I had the power in the relationship with my parents. Not in the Jewish respect, but in the respect that, you know, all of a sudden they, you know, they stopped getting mad at me completely uh, for non-Jewish related things. And uh, it became a lot nicer to me and almost as if like they knew that they needed to do this if they wanted to keep me in, you know, the community to some extent.
Yeah, but I mean, thinking about this topic, I mean, like I, I went to reform, uh, like uh, Hebrew school. I also actually went to a, uh, a conservative one. One time, I went to Solomon Schechter. Um, I know they I have a Sol- I think they have one in New Jersey. Solomon Schechter. They still have one there. What was that? Um, I went to I said a Solomon Schechter and I uh, in, in Philly up until like fourth grade and then later on I went to Reform like Hebrew school but I remember them having a Solomon Schechter day school in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, I just said I have a, a few friends who went there. Yeah, but uh, anyway, one of the things I was thinking about this topic is that uh, even in like the more like Reform, I remember this being emphasized when I went to Hebrew school about. They did some like kind of uh, like lecture about like if you have if you sort of have a a mixed marriage and then it's just sort of uh, confusing for the identity of the child and and I, and I guess what I'm thinking about is that just that this is sort of a theme even something that's pushed even in the more liberal strands of Judaism I found and like uh, the, right, of, right. Uh, the importance of marrying Jewish uh, mm-hmm. and. Um, Just lost my train of thought here a little bit, but uh, um, so I guess the next the next question I have is what um, yeah how did you find yourself with the um, on the ex Jew and on, on, on Reddit and what, what led you to this kind of the uh, of ex, uh, off the derrick or however you want to uh, describe it. So, so I find that for many people I know who are quote unquote off the derrick, it was a very emotional yeah. thing. They had a lot of right. trauma with Judaism. Sure. Looking back, I certainly did. Uh, you know, both the parents thing I was discussing, and I'll just add that uh, you know, one thing that was bothering me a lot was I was always very fearful of God, and that anything went wrong in my life was because I had sinned or I had violated halacha. And that did create a lot of psychological stress for me. You know, anytime I did badly on a test or my parents fought, I thought it was my fault, you know, because I violated halacha. Uh, uh, it wasn't for me, my rejection of Judaism was pretty, it wasn't emotional really. It was as much of it was intellectual, I guess, mm-hmm. in, a, in, in a high school, I was a total believer. I didn't have any questions whatsoever in terms of the authenticity of the religion. And in college, I took a course on Jewish uh, ethics and Jewish political values. And I found a lot that bothered me there uh, in terms of the way Judaism was talking about women, in terms of the way they were talking about non-Jews. Uh, as almost lesser people, and this was stuff that was hidden from me largely uh, when I was growing up in Jewish day school. And that class kind of launched me on a years-long mission, and I guess it's still continuing, to do more research on Judaism and, uh, you know, research its authenticity and research what's really behind it and and all these things that they kind of hid from us in uh, high school. And I ended up reading about the documentary hypothesis, and and, and, uh, that convinced me a lot. Uh, but I, I think my my two the two major reasons I, I, I you know uh, went uh, off the derrick so to say um, the first would be the uh, historical authenticity of the Torah I think if you you take a uh, fine eye to the Torah and you look through every single place especially in Brayshit this is relevant that uh, the Torah has to corroborate what we know about history it's wrong every single time it's wrong every single not only is it wrong. But it presents political situations as they would be hundreds, if not a thousand years later, when most academics think the Torah was actually written. Uh, and and you know, there's the numerous examples of this. You can just take a look at Noah, the fact that we know there was no flood during that time. You can take a look at the story of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Anytime they meet another nation or something, these are all nations that didn't exist at the alleged time that these events happened. 
they all happen much later. The Exodus, obviously, there's there's no historical backing for the conquest of Israel time and time again. It wasn't just one or two things. And so I think that that was probably the most decisive thing for me that made me look at this and say, how do we know this is authentic? You know, let alone the fact that the book doesn't make any divine claims that uh, would make us think it's authentic. You know, it doesn't say anything that people wouldn't know at the time. Just time. Well, I guess uh, the question, uh, the follow-up one to that would be: of How how would you think that this this um, uh, realization affected your social relationships? Well, at the time, or did it? I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, when I came into college, I started. I tried to get involved in Chabad, but I did not appreciate the culture of Chabad. Uh, not uh-huh. the rabbi was amazing. He was a great guy. Uh, it was yeah. more so the culture of the students there. They were uh, very uh, jappy, so to say. Uh-huh. I didn't find that they had any interest in interacting with me. Uh, and I'm a friendly social guy and I was really bothered. Right. Uh, and it was this kind of uh, jappy culture, which I despised growing up. And I saw a lot uh-huh. and that pushed me away from Chabad. And so I didn't really have any religious friends at that point, aside from a couple from high school, but somehow I made friends. All my friends from high school are either non-religious or OTD kind of. Almost okay. So I don't know if it really affected my relationship with my friends that much. Okay. Um... I just going off just to finish that up. So I yeah, guess yeah. Two major things were just the authenticity of, of historically of the Torah. And the second thing was the uh, immorality in a lot of uh, Jewish thought uh, that was kind of hidden for me, you know, um, in terms of, and I kind of alluded to this before, what they say about women, what they say about right. Jews and some really disturbing stuff. Like you're not allowed to save the life of a non-Jew on Shabbos if it means violating Shabbos. Uh, and, and this is not stuff mentioned by one or two rabbis. These are strains of thoughts of firm. Right over thousands of years of, of Jewish history. And this is all hidden in, in Jewish day school. They don't teach you about this. They, they, they pick and choose the few uh, comments they can find that are consistent with modern values. But in reality, Judaism is not consistent with modern values unless you very significantly twist it to the point where you're really just picking and choosing based on modern values. Right. So yeah, um, two large things were what, what really led me uh, down this path. Yeah, no, I wanted to actually uh, go to maybe a little bit different topic, but related, but we brought up in the, the beginning of the conversation, uh, the, uh, that movie with the, uh, that I heard that it seemed a little bit funny to me that it was also called unorthodox, the, uh, the documentary about the kids that go to Israel, the, the, the flipping out, uh, notion. Did you, um, did you go on one of those types of Israel trips like after high school or in high school? I did not. And I, uh, think looking back at it, my parents very much regret it. <laughs> uh, but have uh, have you been recently uh, to Israel? Um, I haven't been in a few years now, but uh, maybe it was uh, four or three years ago I had been. Um, I spent okay. the summer there after my freshman year of college. So that would be summer of 2015, I believe, was last time I was there. And what's your, uh, what's your sort of relationship to Israel? Oh, well, I situate my relationship to Israel is somewhat tough and it was evolving. And I guess it's another strong thought I've developed, you know, in, in going. Well, there. have you ever gone to the birthright trip? No, I have not. Uh, okay. But I never, even when I was more religious, never really felt that spiritual connection to Israel that many people find. And I guess right. part of going OTD for me was I, I did a little more research on Israel and I became a lot more concerned about some of the, uh, you know, acts they were engaging in in terms of how they dealt with the, the Palestinian population. And Right. I wouldn't say I became anti-Israel, but I definitely became a lot more moderate on the topic uh, and suspicious. Right. I guess my main uh, thought that emerged out of that was the suspicion to the 
uh, radical praise of Israel you see in the modern Orthodox communities uh, to, the, uh, to the extent that there no criticism of the state was tolerated in my high school, really. We had speakers, wow. they were all the most pro-Israel of the pro-Israel. And, and that was very disturbing to me because I kind of thought um, that, look, whatever way you, 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 you hold on the issue in the end of the day, uh, there are some number of concerning, concerning practices that Israel engages in as a state, and they deserve to be spoken about in the Orthodox. Sure. No, I and I agree. I mean, every community, yeah. And they're not, and I and that and that that kind of dogmatism, that unthinking. Of course, I'm going to be pro-Israel unrelentlessly. Dogmatism is something that really bothers me, and it bothers me in a lot yeah. of people. But. No, it bothers me too. And, and and like one of the things that I got from my Jewish education was is that it's like it's very Jewish to ask questions, to be critical of things. So to me, it's like almost in a way, I think it's anti-Jewish uh, not to allow dialogue and, and critical thinking about an issue. But I, I entirely agree. Yeah. And so I, I give a lot of pushback to the community on that matter. And then they call me a self-hating Jew and they say, right. Israel, and I'm really not anti-Israel. I try to see the situation objectively, but anytime there's an existing thought that leads to an existing kind of movement or thought that leads to blind uh, blind allegiance to another thought that concerns me a lot, you know, whether it's religion, whether it's partisanship in general, uh, I think they turn a blind eye to it, and I would be very concerned that if Israel did do something that was horrific. Um, even more horrific, I, I think they they would ignore it or they'd find a way to justify it. And that's concerning from a community that that allegedly is supposed to hold to moral values. Yeah, and I saw this thread uh, recently on a post on the ex-Jew uh, a couple a day or two ago about this, uh, how, and I've experienced this too in my observations that most uh, more observant Jews, except for maybe, well, well, generally speaking, by and large, most of more religious Jews tend to be always conservative. Uh, and uh, I was wondering what your take is on that, and you know how. I mean, since you identify more uh, libertarian, how, how how what do you think? What's your relation between that and, and Judaism? And, uh, sure, uh, it's a good question. So yeah, I'm going to say in my modern Orthodox school, the vast majority of students came from a politically conservative background. I grew up personally in a conservative household, uh, politically speaking. You know, very northeast conservative. If you know what that means. Um, so really just economics uh, and, and kind of modern right. right-leaning on the social issues and cultural issues. Uh, and and, the, and Judaism is not a, a conservative religion. I mean, you take a look at the Talmud, there's a lot of, you know, regulations uh, essentially on uh, competition and stuff. And and like one comes to mind that if you have a shop open up in an area, halakhically you're not allowed to have another shop open up in the same area. And, you know, obviously this conflicts with, with principles of competition and, and, and free markets. And so I always found it interesting that the modern Orthodox community was very, you know, conservative. And that probably stemmed from two places. A, just cultural values tending to be more conservative. Uh, and two, primarily, is probably just the support of Israel. Right. Uh, I mean, I know that's when you're Jewish. Uh, you, you, you believe that to be the most important issue. Uh, you kind of align the rest of your thought with the party or the uh, American political movement that is most aligned with that. Uh and uh, in the end, I was mostly conservative there. And in college, I became a little more libertarian. And I'd say I'm moved into a somewhat of like a left libertarian at this point. Okay. Uh, but uh, another thing I found very concerning about Judaism was it kind of sometimes how it spoke in very collectivist terms. Uh, you know, specifically the, uh, the halacha regarding a malik comes to mind. This idea that you need to, it's, you know, it's not an option. You, you are commanded to kill somebody from a malik. 
if you see somebody from a Moloch. What's well, a Moloch? I've heard the term before, but what, what is it? Yeah, what's Moloch? A Moloch was this uh, a tribe or a nation um, during uh, biblical times, allegedly, that they were evil people and they used to. Uh, one of the stories they told was we used to learn was there used to be the line of people walking in the desert and used to pick off the people at the end of the line, the stragglers, and hey, they're just bad people all around in the Torah. But there's this commandment that you need to, if you ever see somebody you know is from Moloch, you are commanded to kill them on the spot. Okay. Uh, and that was really concerning to me. Uh, and so and part of my political evolution definitely did influence my uh, thoughts on Judaism as well. I didn't think it had a, the kind of adherence to uh, individual values that, that I'd like to see. Okay. Uh, no, and somebody responded about the, 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 the idea of the, the, by and large, the, the religious Jews being conservative, uh, that there were some um, Hasidic groups that like uh, voted for Clinton in big numbers. Oh, yeah? Uh, and I didn't really look into the exact details of that, but I mean, one thought I did have is I've heard a lot of a lot of the Hasidic communities. There's a very high percentage of them on on welfare and and, and whatnot. So I, I would think how, how that plays into their uh, political. Uh, I would say it's partially it's partially the kind of the welfare issue. Um, yeah. As you know, in Israel, particularly the Hasidic community are are uh, big welfare recipients. Yeah. But in, in the United States, I think part of it deem stems from. Uh, among Hasidic root communities, depending on which one, some are either very neutral to negative on Israel and some are outright yeah. anti-Israel. Like the, the sophomores. Right. And, and I used to go to APAC back when I was in high school, uh, and I always used to see them protesting outside. Oh, really? Uh, all, oh, yeah. Saying, uh, you know, using lines and such that, you know, pro-Palestinian activists use a lot. And obviously that all stems from religion as well, because for them, they believe that we're not supposed to have Israel until the times of Mashiach. And because right. the Mashiach, it's wrong for Jews to be in control of Israel. So it all, no matter how uh, how Jews tend to fall on the issue of Israel, it almost always tends to be religiously motivated, except for probably, you know, some reform people who are legitimately pro-Palestinian. Or pro yeah, or like you're kind of more... Um you know, uh, more nouveau uh, socialist communists. Uh, right. That's definitely a strain of thought that <laughs> remains among uh, less, less. Uh, it's, it's a what? What? No, I, I missed what you said about that. I, I, I said that strain of, of thought, uh, you know, le left leading thought is still very prevalent among non-religious Jews, which is. Yes. The vast yeah. majority of Jews. So. But it's interesting, but I do find it's like um, there's sort of geographic differences in that. Like in, in South Florida, I mean, there are some left-leaning Jews, but I've noticed that the Jewish community here tends to be very much uh, more, uh, by and large, pretty uh, more right-wing, even the younger people. Yeah, the Jewish community I grew up in was almost entirely right-wing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was wondering if you have you seen the uh, the unorthodox uh, Netflix show yet? Um, I watched a bit of it. I, I haven't. I uh, watched it while I was doing other things. I didn't really. I don't think I even finished it. Um, I do okay, want to and finish it. Um, so you, I'm assuming by that you didn't really get. Uh, you weren't that. Um, didn't really catch your interest that much. It did. It very much did. Oh, it did. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm surprised you wouldn't finish. And I'm busy. And so, I see. Yeah. I'm going to probably start it from the beginning again and watch it yeah. more intently uh, because I did very much enjoy the uh, the previous unorthodox documentary uh, about people who left the community. So uh, the documentary. Yeah. 
No, but I find it interesting now that this is like, I just see so many non-Jews that's really getting engrossed in this series right now. And and it's very easy to relate to. And, and even yeah. for me, I find it, while I didn't have that, not even close to that kind of an experience with, right. I didn't grow up in a cult like she did. Um, yeah. uh, I did relate to a lot of the experiences she had in terms of, you know, struggling with her family, in terms of, particularly in terms of her experiences going out into the real world for the first time. Um, that was a, something that definitely happened to me in college. Uh, it was very sheltered growing up, obviously. And then, you know, going into college, kind of the real world for the first time and, you know, being able to go out and have fun with people and do things Friday night and non-kosher food. And I very much did have that kind of wide-eyed experience, which I, I still do look on back on very fa- favorably. Uh, yeah, but that's interesting. If you didn't grow up that far from New York City, but and, and how, how were that's, you still felt sort of sheltered from the, the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, and that's mostly because I, where I live is kind of in the middle of nowhere, and only kids I interacted with ever was, uh, you know, in school. And I'll be brutally honest right now, I didn't have a, a, a friend who was African American, or I didn't have a, any friends who were LGBT uh, until college. Right. So I, it was definitely. Well, there probably yeah. were some uh, LGBT people, I imagine, in the, your high school. They just weren't. Uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah, they didn't start coming out though until after a couple of years after I left, they became a little more open to it. And I know a few right. came out. Uh, there's this Jewish line of apologetics, which is popular among modern Orthodox communities these days, which says, "Look, you know, we want to welcome gay people in. They're they're free to be part of the community because, in the end of the day, everybody sins, and this is just their sin." And oh. I find the apologetics very demeaning and still uh, invalidating of LGBT identity. But that is right. what they're working with these days, which is, again, it's a step in the right direction. But I still think it's pretty dangerous telling students that their innate you know, identity and their innate sexual desires that don't harm anybody else are immoral and sins. While, you know, the well, other- definitely, definitely. I mean, that's that's a, I didn't think I mean, now the way you're framing it, I can definitely see how that's it's sort of that's a collectivist uh, kind of um, underpinning, I think. Yeah, for sure. It's like if I'm a rights person, if somebody wants to uh, to like a different gender or whatever, it's not it's not really uh, it's not really harming anybody. But uh, uh, yeah, but right. And so that that was that that still is a fight I have with my dad and the you know, people in the community still that uh, look step in the right direction, but this can still be very harming to people's psyche if they think um, that every time they're in, they're engaging in something that's innate to them that they feel that they're sinning, you know, while, while your friend Joe may be sinning when he chooses to turn the lights on on Shabbos, you're, you're sinning because of who you are innately. And I think that's right. I mean, I've heard, I don't know if there's, the, forget if there's, there's the guy still doing it, but I remember hearing this, this rabbi in, in, uh, in Miami beach that did the, does like the conversion therapy. Yeah. And, and, and I didn't really, you know, experience any of that growing up again, mine was a modern Orthodox community. And so we've, yeah. we're way past that. Uh, so we're definitely, the right <laughs> but my point is not enough. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, side topics. It's I, I, do you, um, do you partake in any like Jewish, uh, like social events in Philly? Because I, I, um, I lived there after college. I was actually into the whole Jewish uh, kind of Jewish uh, Jewish event scene there. Do you go to the? Uh, you don't know if you've ever heard of the Hevra in Philly or? Uh, I, I I mean I, to be honest, I haven't really engaged in much of any Jewish events since yeah. uh, becoming religious, and it's not a hard rule for me. I've gone uh-huh. to a couple here and there, 
I was interested. Uh, a friend invited me to some Jewish thing in law school. I wanted to go. I was just busy. Um, right. I, I, it just, I don't know if there's anything that really attracts me to it. It's, Right. And I still do, and maybe this will, you know, I'll, I'll grow out of this at some point, but I still do carry around a lot of baggage from uh, you know, my Jewish upbringing and in terms of the way it affected me and the way it constrained me uh, and the lies I was taught. I still do carry a lot of baggage on that. And so while for, you know, people who grew up non-religious, it's it's fun. It's this cultural thing. You're Jewish. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I don't know if I even like to go back to that at some point. Maybe yeah. I would, maybe I wouldn't. I'm not sure, but it's it's harder for me. It's harder for me when um, I go into these events and all I see is is my upbringing. All I see is all the things, all the distasteful parts of Judaism. And I almost right. see these cultural events as they kind of swipe it all. They 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 they, uh, I, they swipe everything under the door, you know. Um, right. And right. The Judaism they're celebrating is not real Judaism, right? It's it's some mom, you know, I use the word mutilated, it's kind of an aggressive term, but it's this like yeah. mutilated kind of culture and and I thought and I series of ideas which are like 15% Judaism, 80% modern 85% modern values um and modern cultural ideas. And I guess while that's great, it doesn't do anything for me, you know? When when I can just why should I go to Judaism for that when I can just get that for my own you know, my own culture, my own background, and my own ethics. So, uh, yeah, I almost see there being something pseudo about uh, like this modern Jewish culture we have in the United States uh, that, that most conservative reform people relate to. It's kind of something that just popped up really in the last 40, 50 years. There's nothing historically Jewish about it. If you know what I'm kind of getting at, I'm not sure if I articulated that very well. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think I, I kind of understand it. But, but actually the ones I'm talking about like uh, would be... Um, um, I mean, I distance myself personally from this stuff because, like, uh, politically and stuff, I, I I got a little bit tired of it too. But when when I was just after I graduated college in Philly, I happened to like the uh, like some of the Chabad rabbis there, and they would do the uh, they would make it the Chabad, you know, that light and try to get you into it, and like, uh, you know, maybe if you got to it, if you got into it enough, they start inviting you to learn and things like that. But I never really got that and far. But my experience. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a real struggle for me because I feel like if I get involved, I, I know what their ends are. I know their right. ends are to quote unquote convert you. And it was yeah. very pseudo to me. You know, the Chabad people, they put on a nice front, but behind right. the scenes, there's a lot of problematic cultish aspects of the Chabad. No, I, I 100%. I agree with you. Yeah, I'm not... <laughs> the Rebbe. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I've had good experience with Chabad rabbis personally. They're nice, yeah. warm, yeah. great guys, great people, right? And, and maybe this is more my problem than their problem, but it's all I see is what's hiding beneath the surface and the values that 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 I object to hiding beneath the surface and their goals right. beneath the surface. And again, maybe it's more me than them, but it's it's a problem I have, and it, it makes it hard for me to, you know. And again, it's not a hard rule for me. I would go to events, but it it makes it so there's nothing that that there's no burning desire for me to go. Right. No, I just wonder if you do now, but. Uh, um... No, but actually, well, a lot of the Chabad, some of the Chabad rabbis I've met, which I find is interesting, it's kind of the flip of the off the derech. That a lot of the, some of the ones I know that they were, they were secular and they did a lot of drugs and were sort of wayward souls, and then they find Chabad, it's sort of like a reverse uh, off the derech kind of a thing. 
That that sounds like uh, that uh, that that documentary <laughs> we were talking about earlier about the uh, modern Orthodox students who went to Israel and uh, flipped out. Uh, how they were yeah, all... but uh, but well, these people but... I think weren't even ever even modern Orthodox. So they were just more secular, like just uh, uh, didn't even really do any Jewish stuff. And then uh, like I mean I would give it like an example more, but he sort of went the the, the three sixty like the modest Yahoo kind of a guy. But uh... yeah, oh yeah, and he went back <laughs> he went right out of art to the Jewish community. Like uh -huh. after, after he, he was a very popular figure, but after he became yeah. less religious, you know, he's gone from the Jewish community in terms of uh, his presence in, in music and such uh, at Jewish events. Yeah, but I I saw him like the Wikipedia page off, uh, off. Have you ever been on that? The off the Derek Wikipedia page? I have not. I didn't know there was a Wikipedia. It's a decent Wikipedia page, but. I don't totally, well, I wouldn't really place him in that category, totally off the Derek. I guess, I mean, it's how you define it, but because, uh, like, he grew up, like, he was just, he wasn't a religious growing up. I mean, he was just sort of pulled in by Chabad as he was sort of a problem, like, troubled teenager. Uh, right. But and I feel his, his whole Judaism, to me, it was like a big marketing, and I think he was sort of clever making a shtick marketing. Oh, yeah. boy, that, yeah. I don't know how, how much he was ever really into it. But, <laughs> Oh, look, I mean, you grow up in those communities. Of course, I listened to all his music, like up until the point where he stopped becoming religious. They played yeah. it. No, I like some of it too, but then I after saw who he was as a person, I just got turned right. off to him. Right. But Yeah, they used to, we used to, Mosheva, I went to Mosheva, I don't know if you're familiar with Mosheva, it's an Orthodox. No. It's an Orthodox, extremely Zionist uh, day camp. It, uh -huh. It's by this called B'nai Akiva, who, which is almost a cult in and of itself. Not maybe to the same extent as like, you know, Haredi Judaism, but they, they have their own somewhat of a cult vibe to them. Uh, where, where Where is it located? It was the one camp I went to was in Pennsylvania, um, but they have a few all around the country and they have in Israel and B'nai Akiva, it's this big uh, Zionist movement, religious, okay. modern Orthodox Zionist movement. Uh, they used to sing the songs a lot until, you know, he stopped becoming religious. <laughs> right. Um, so this is another question. So if you could invite two people live or dead over for dinner, who would they be and, and why? Oh, one of those hard questions. You <laughs> like the rest of these things I put thought into. That, yeah. <laughs> um, oof. That's a really, really hard question. I mean, this is going to be an interesting one for one of them. Okay. And I don't, again, I don't know who this is, but if I could identify one of the actual writers of the Torah who actually committed it down to the notes, I would love to speak to him and just hear all about what like really early Jewish culture and ideas were like and, and what the realities are behind the formation of Judaism. Because I think whatever the truth is behind how Judaism was created, it's a lot more interesting than, than the, um, you know, the stories they tell you in school. Um, right. I, I'd love to hear more about that. Uh, that's kind of cheating because I don't know who that is, and it could even be a group. Don't of you think it is a collective? I mean, that's my understanding that it's a, yeah. A well, that's why I, I, I said one of the authors. Yeah, the, one of them. I know you did. Yeah, um, it, yeah. It's clearly a collection of, of uh, either documents or fragments, depending on which yeah. theory you buy into. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to hear about that. Uh, more recently, I don't know. Uh, kind of a hard question. It's all right. I mean, just right. you know, it doesn't have to be the perfect person. Just uh, so. I don't know. Most of the people I, I would say are more political than. Uh, yeah, name me one of the political ones. 
I, I, this is going to kind of cop out answer. I would love to invite Obama over for dinner and speak to him about um, his, uh, I don't know what the word is for, his, uh, extent, kind of like how he became jaded with the presidency. Uh, you know, he came in with all of these idealistic ideas, a lot of which I was, you know, very much behind in terms of closing Guantanamo and the war on drugs and our foreign policy. Right. And then when he came into office, he kind of governed like an establishment, you know, left-wing politician. And right. kind of ask him, what what happened to that? Was it your, did you just realize this was infeasible? Was it the people around you said uh, that you can't politically do this, you're going to get killed? Or did he actually have a change of heart? Did he come into office and realize that, you know, maybe some of these things were more important than he thought? And he, I would be really interested to hear that because I had a lot of uh, agreement with Obama in terms of his social yeah. policy and how he campaigned, but didn't have a lot of agreement with his social policy, immigration, drugs, foreign policy in terms of how he was president. So, Right. I mean, I, I felt that it, it was a little bit just sort of giving in to make the peace. So. Uh, right. But be... even things like, you know, descheduling marijuana, he could have easily done with no backlash. And why didn't he do it? Uh, that could have yeah. been a real legacy on his part. That could have been a real legacy. And I'd just be interested to hear uh, the realities behind that from somebody who's been president. So and he seems like a really cool, chill, smart guy. So, Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so another one, if, if you had a free month to do whatever you wanted, uh, what, what, comes, what would you do and what comes to mind? Hmm. Um. I'd probably improve my coding skills. Uh, I took a coding class in college. I don't know much about coding, but I I can read basic code and I'd like to improve my ability to read code because I think no matter what business you go into these days, you're at some point you're gonna interact with an area where you need, uh, maybe not to be able to code yourself, but you need to be able to look at code and kind of know what's going on. And I think that would uh, improve my ability to kind of be a dynamic professional. Uh, what, what language? Uh... Probably uh, probably Java or Python or both. Uh -huh. Those are the two I'm familiar with that I've had experience in. Uh, All right, cool. So uh, another one. What, what's the uh, uh, what, what's your uh, favorite purchase, uh, recent purchase under $100 or less? I don't really make many purchases like that. <laughs> um, can't think of a good purchase for under $100. Ugh. Or maybe above, uh, uh, or I'd go with this, make it a little bit more open. The last uh, three most memorable purchases you made. I don't buy a lot of things. It's kind of hard for me. Um, I really don't have a good answer on that one. I can check my Amazon list of what I purchased. I don't even know what I purchased. Or... Uh, well, I mean, um, on your Twitter, it said that you like gadgets. What kind, what kind of gadgets do you like with? Oh, mostly into phones and such. Like, like uh -huh. phone every year. Uh, well, Apple, Android. Yeah, Android. Uh, I have a OnePlus phone. I'm kind of in love with. Uh, I've heard those are good. Oh, uh, I have a Google Pixel, but I heard the one. I, I dumped my Pixel. I was a Pixel guy uh, for years, and I dumped it for uh -huh. OnePlus this last year. You're happy with the change? Oh, thrilled! It's uh, yeah. the best phone I've ever owned in my life, bar none. I mean, I like that Google like keeps everything. It's like like. I mean, it's like an, I was before Apple, but it just sort of keeps everything. Uh, yeah, they get you into their ecosystem. Yeah, I'm a I'm a Google trap. I'm a Google ecosystem guy for sure. Yeah, uh, but I can't. Sorry, I can't really think of any great 
uh, purchases I made recently. I don't really uh, buy much, and I'd make like my big phone purchase of the year, and that's I kind of save up. Right. That's like the big thing I really like to have new every year. One of the things that annoys me about the phones, I've had this Pixel for the last couple of years, uh, the Pixel uh, 2, but like yeah. if you hold on to them and you don't really buy the new one, then you, you can't you can't sell yours and make any money off of it. Which really right, sure. right. That's what I did every year. Every year I buy yeah. a new phone and I sell my old one. But yeah, That's I what I would do cool. too, but then I, I, I held on and it screwed me up because now it's... Yeah, but. yeah, but a great phone. I mean, I kind of miss, still miss the camera on that phone like to this day. So, all right, but um, okay. So, what um, what what would you say that you uh, you cherish most in your life? Hmm. I cherish most. I guess I don't know. I could say my family, which I do. I very much do cherish my my immediate my family, just my parents, really. Um, but I, I at the moment I really enjoy my free time. I really enjoy my time to just be alone and. Um, and and just further whatever goal I want to at the moment, whether it's learning a new skill or whether it's often, you know, reading reading political articles online or reading a book or anything of the sort. I mean, a lot of people have struggled in this quarantine a lot. And I'm a social person by all means. Right. Uh, you miss the, the social aspects. But I really enjoy just having every night kind of free to myself and nobody bugging me now, uh, just being alone in my apartment. And just I feel like I've really been able to, you know, further my goals recently in terms of reading books that I've wanted to read or even just like playing a video game I've been wanting to play or a TV show I've been wanting to watch. Uh, and what, uh, what kind of books uh, have you read recently? Um, right now I am reading The Improbability Principle. I forgot who it's by, but it pretty much discusses, it's, it's somewhat related to religion. It's a, it kind of discusses why uh, things that seem unlikely in life, these, these coincidences or what Jews would call hashbracha pratis, you know, a divine will, um, these a lot of these coincidences uh, that seem almost impossible are actually things that are very likely to happen, and it, we would actually be surprised if they didn't happen uh, frequently, given you know, a number of factors he discusses in the book. He has a bunch of these rules which um, kind of explain why improbable things happen all the time, and I found that very interesting because you know something you, you kind of struggle with as a as an atheist is is when something kind of crazy these coincidences happen. And you're like, wow, how could that just happen, right? Um, and right. all your religious friends say, come on, now you're just being pigheaded. Now you don't believe in God. You look at this crazy thing that happened. Uh, that can, what are the odds? You know, one in a million. Uh, Did you ever have those uh, Torah code things presented oh, to you? God. Uh, yeah. I mean, they weren't really put hard. Um, I think even among rabbis in my school, I think a lot of them recognize the uh, – the, 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 the fact that when you have enough words together that you can yeah. do this with any single book. Uh, but yeah, he actually discusses the Torah code in his, in his book, discussing why that uh, is actually likely to happen. When I, when I went on my Israel birthright trip, they had this class where, where they did the, the Torah code thing. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into that I went on a trip with Asha Torah. Are you familiar with them? Uh, no, I'm not. But they're just like... Um, I feel like they're uh, they're they very much try to go after like um, a lot of the people involved with the organization, real like Baltashuva kind of Jews, and then they were really pushing that kind of stuff, and it, it just totally had the opposite effect on me. I just thought it was yeah. Really nice. was <laughs> they, so I'll tell you what they did. So I mean, it was never that kind of stuff was never pushed. But I'll tell you what was pushed. Do you know what gematria is? 
I've heard of it. If it, uh, I'm not exactly sure what oh, it yeah. is, but this is a fun one. So gematria is the idea. Was it the numbers and the words yeah. and the num yeah. the that thing? Yeah. So that each Jewish letter in the alphabet corresponds to a number, and so there are all these. There's like a whole industry behind this, I and mean, in Judaism, where they they find that certain numbers of one word is the same number that another word adds up to, and that's that means you know the Torah is trying to tell us X Y Z and. Uh, even there was a lot of pushback against that, you know, even when I was in high school for me and my friends, uh, because it, it was very bs -y. They'd say, right. add this in, and then you add one for God, and you add four for the uh, the patriarchs, and you add seven for the days of the week, and you add uh, ten for the Ten Commandments, and, and then they're equal, you know? This shows that, whatever it is. Uh, so, so they would always find a way to make them equal or prove the point. Even if they didn't line up, they would say, well, you just got to add one for God, or you got to add four for the patriarchs and you know and the great thing about judaism is there's there's a song that goes up to 13 where they name uh significant things in judaism correspond for, to every number one through 13 and so you always have a reason to add on to whatever number you want to add on to so uh yeah it was pretty bs -y. i know a number of fans of that so how how, uh, how how do you reconcile like um sort of your beliefs now and, and with your parents now how does that work so my parents and I have gotten to a point where and I was just home this past weekend, for example, and we got along great. I mean, we're, I'm still I'm really close to them. I speak with them very frequently. We kind of, they've gotten to the point, my dad used to call me a self-hating Jew or, and, and get very mad at me every time I spoke about, you know, why Judaism wasn't true. And now we've gotten to a point where we can debate it intellectually. Uh, my dad and I have always, since I was five years old, been debating. He kind of trained me to debate and we would argue, but not argue as in like, we don't like each other, but just argue the merits, you know, particular arguments. Right. And uh, yeah, just actually, I was just home at the weekend. I was arguing some documentary hypothesis stuff with my dad. We were going through one of the stories and I was trying to show him how this something makes so much more sense. And, uh, and, and they kind of accept the fact that I don't eat kosher. I don't keep Shabbos anymore. And I don't keep you know, Pesach or whatever's going on now. Well, you, uh, would you eat um, like uh, bacon or pork products? So no. I do personally, but you no. know, one of the things that I haven't really worked out with my parents yet is uh, I still won't eat non-kosher in front of them. So they know yeah. I don't eat kosher. I assume we never really talked about it, but you know, I, one can only assume they, they know at this point. Um, and uh uh, but, you know, whenever I come over in Florida, they always used to, you know, make an effort to take me to kosher restaurants and stuff. I think they don't want themselves to end up in a situation where I'm in a non-kosher restaurant and I'll order something. But I probably wouldn't do it just because, I don't know, I don't want to spend their money like that in front of them and watch, you know, have them watch <laughs> me eat some uh, non-kosher steak or something. I don't know. Just well, have you, um, since you live in Bay Harbor, there's, uh, have you been to any of those kosher places in Surfside there? I've been to probably every single one. Well, but, but there's this guy I like who's actually Jewish, and you, you probably haven't heard of it because you wouldn't really know about it unless you really um, told about it. It's called Josh's Deli. It's on the same street, and he 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 sort of makes jokes about it. He calls it like a fake deli because it's not kosher, and like he he does a lot of like like kind of um, hip. It's sort of like a hipster Jewish deli, is how I describe it. Like he, yeah, yeah. No, I never heard. It. He posted this thing like during uh, this week during Passover, like some kind of lobster thing on like matzo brai and like <laughs> that kind of stuff. That's funny. Yeah. Um, it's, 
Funny story though, I'm allergic to shellfish, so I still cannot okay. take in the uh, pleasures of crab and shrimp, and that that's unfortunate for me. I feel like I still kind of Jewish in that respect. <laughs> but I've met a few like uh, off the derrick kind of people that I, I find with pork, even even though they don't really care about anything else, and they'll go with non-Jewish women and, and prostitutes or whatever. But the pork, they still won't touch pork. And, and and that has to be interesting to you as someone yeah. in psychology, because yeah. I felt that at the beginning too that. Yeah. I, if I had pork, I'm like, oh, this is great, but I wouldn't eat it very often. I'd only eat it on a burger or something because, like, I still, even though I liked the taste and it wasn't a conscious, I'm doing something wrong, the taste almost had this, un, like, subconscious, I'm doing something wrong taste. Right. And and so it took me a while, like a couple years after I stopped becoming religious, where I would do that uh, to, to actually eat pork or to, you know, mix meat and milk and there's some things that still very much felt wrong, you know, because you, you grew up doing something your whole life um, and doing it any other way. Just, you know, it's hard to break something like that. Like I remember the first time I broke Shabbos and just really weird up front. Like you have this very strong sense that this is not right, but you know, it's all culturally embedded. And just like you, you culturally learn it, you, you unlearn it. And you know, I've come right. to where I, I just don't, obviously years later, I don't really think about it anymore. It's just natural. Uh, I mean, this is a different topic. We hold another conversation, but since you're in Philly and you're in law school, I want to bring it up. But have you? Uh, so I've followed him a little bit. That guy, Larry Krasner. Uh, have you followed his what he's been doing in Philly at all? No. Who, who's that? Oh, he's the um, he's your di uh, district attorney in Philly, and he's like really about ending like the all the criminal justice reform and getting rid of the death penalty and all kinds of things like that. Oh, I'm I'm not familiar with his work particularly. Uh, I am yeah. much in favor of all those major criminal justice reform policies, getting rid of the death penalty, eliminating yeah. bail. You yeah, know. that's that. He's he's really. I mean, uh, at least I mean, I'm not a legal scholar by any means, but by my estimate, he seems to be the most progressive district attorney by the history of uh, definitely in Philadelphia. I would say maybe even the whole country ever. But yeah, that's great. I, I love to love to see it. It's not something you see often among. Uh, you know, district attorneys. <laughs> no, it's not. But I'll just I'll, uh, and well, actually, one one more thing, and then I'm gonna end with some other more lighter note. But so, uh, what would be one of your favorite quotes that come to that comes to mind? Um, I always like this one. I don't even know why. Uh, I I think the line is something like. I don't know, when you eliminate all the uh, impossibilities, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. I'm not sure whatever was attracted to me to that line. I'm not even sure what the personal relevance is. I'm sure there is some, but I was really like... And who is, um, who is it by? That, that is an excellent question. I think it was in Sherlock Holmes. I don't think it comes from there. Let me see. Let me see who... Yeah, say here it says Arthur Conan Doyle, but I, th I remember reading that it came came from somebody before that. Maybe it was Sherlock Holmes. Who knows? All I think right. I heard it in Star Trek somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I heard it in Star Trek, but it does come from Sherlock Holmes. Okay, and uh, so the, the, this last thing was just sort like, of. I'm gonna... I also like the uh, the line from Robert Frost's poem. I it was a poem I memorized when I was very young. Uh, I took the road less traveled by, and that made all the difference. I like that line a lot too. That is a good one. Um, yeah, and, and this last one, I'm going to say a few things. And you're just going to complete uh, the rest of the, uh, the phrase. So, uh, well, chillant is what comes to mind. Oh, vile. 
Uh, <laughs> make it good, but it's just, it's just, it's just a, it's a stew born out of necessity. Let's leave it at that. Well, I remember when I, I first had, I didn't have it growing up. I had an Israel with these Asia Torah people, and I, I liked it. I just couldn't really move afterwards. And oh, yeah, maybe you can some make it good. GI but... problems, that's what I remember from it. Yeah, you can make it good. I don't doubt that, but uh, I'm not a fan at all. Okay. Happy to leave that so what, what, uh, if you ordered a bagel, what would you put on it? It would be really boring, but I just like plain cream cheese on my bagel. Um, which is funny because uh, ever since I stopped becoming religious, I feel like I have to make up for all the meat I didn't eat growing up. Like I was always a love with meat and I never got it because of, you know, eating kosher, eating out. We only used to eat dairy. Uh, uh, I meat on every single dish now, no matter what it is. I won't have a, meat, a meal without meat. But the one thing I like that's meatless is just a plain bagel, with plain cream cheese, no locks, no nothing, no other spreads. Wow. Um, all right. Well, well thanks for uh, chatting with me today, Andrew. I enjoyed it. Any Anything else you want to leave with? No, I think I uh, said most of what I wanted to say. Okay. Well, have, um, are you, what, you're back in Philly or are you still at home? Or? No, I'm, I'm in Philly. Okay. Well, so. um, um, I'm just well, curious if the guy, I'm sure he's still around there. I mean, he's a, you ever, I mean, I'm not trying to, it's funny, I'm not trying to push the Chabad, but I happen to, the 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 the, uh, the main Chabad rabbi in Miami, I think he's a real jerk off, but I won't mention his name, but uh, the, the the guy in, um, uh, this one guy in this Philly that would do this young, like uh, stuff with younger people, it was, his name's I, I, Rabbi Schmidt, and he's, uh, I, I thought he was a nice guy. But I, I guess I have one more, one last thought to yeah. leave you with in terms of kind of related to some of the things that we, we yeah. We've been talking about, sure. and that's that. Um, as I think about what kind of role I want Judaism to play in the future of my life, I kind of have a struggle, and and I've kind of alluded to some of this before. But you know, on one hand, um, I abhor all a lot of the values and cultural uh, thought that has uh, been in uh, Orthodox Judea, Judaic thought over the course of the last two thousand years. I think is very concerning, and that kind of you know makes me not want to be involved in the Orthodox community. And at the same time, I think there's something special about, to some extent, about the prayer service and the and how authentic it is and the tunes they use that draws me back to it. Um, right. But on the other hand, um, like my, my, my girlfriend want, would like me to be more involved with Reformed Judaism. She says, look, everything you say, why don't you get involved with Reformed Judaism? Uh-huh. And, and that sounds great on one hand because they do have you know, the values that, uh, that I'm attracted to. But on the other hand, I walk into the service there and, and I find the whole thing so inauthentic it's a right. lot you know just stems from christian uh you know the way you do services in christianity and and it's like it's like they took it and they cut it down and they cut it apart and they just pulled out you know a few things and they're calling this judaism and and it's like i don't even know why i'm offended by that considering i'm not religious but it, it's I, there's something i don't like about that um yeah i've heard that from a lot of uh i've i've heard other a lot of other people some similar um responses so it's a real struggle but... for me because I, I don't know what kind of role i want judaism to play in my life because i i i, I don't mind some of the cultural things but i don't like how they the service feels so fake and made up and inauthentic uh and so yeah that's just it's just you can also make the case that the other one was made up too so it's just that's more right. familiar to you hoping <laughs> there's 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 all there's a long-term tradition going into that and uh, yeah it's a lot of conflicting thoughts in my mind right. uh, you know there's a line that you like to say among uh, otd people and that okay
All right. Well, have a good one, Andrew. Nice, uh, nice chatting with you. All right. You're welcome. Bye.